systems that have a single point of failure. We do our best to prevent creating those, engaging in those, being stuck in those. We talk about it in business. We talk about it in investing. We talk about it in life. Well, you know, one of the reasons we do that is because there's a sense in which if we are in an undiversified strategy or a system in which there's a single point of failure, if something goes wrong, it might cost you a lot. The title of today's message is The Cost of an Undiversified Strategy. And it comes from a line that Jesus actually spoke out first. If you're not willing to give up everything to be my disciples, you cannot follow me. Harsh words and a scary invitation, an undiversified strategy, no doubt. But in Jesus' words, not mine, anything less than all in is not in. Thanks, Andy, for an easy message to share today. <laughs> you know, in this series, uh, it just so happened that this is the one coming up, and Andy offered me an easier message, and uh, to his credit, and maybe, maybe to my challenge, um, I didn't ask for an easy message. So we'll see how it goes. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck to all of us. Me too. You know, this is not only a direct invitation from Jesus, but it's actually an invitation combined with a requirement. So we're going to do a deeper dive into that today. And, uh, you know, by the end of today, I'm going to invite you to pray a dangerous prayer with me. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer from a place of having a yielded heart, one that's all in with ears to hear, ready to take action. The sort of prayer that's like, God, what is it you would ask of me today? What cost are you inviting me to count with a sense of willingness to follow through. So with that in mind, let's pray. God, I thank you for bringing us all here. I thank you for everything that you've been doing in the lives of everyone. Thank you for bringing this group of people uh, into a good place. Thank you that, that you have brought us by quiet streams, that, that you are the excellent shepherd. Thank you that you've invested in all of the hearts and the minds here before this moment. God, I ask that your words would be received today. I ask that what it is that's on your heart would make it into the hearts and minds here. God, I ask that, that your thoughts would be filtered down to the purest version, and that is what people would receive. God, I ask that you would bless the hearers. I also ask that you would bless the speaker. Amen. We've got a little bit of a series overview. This is the beginning of our Lenten series journey, sharing stories on the long road home. Now, in Jesus' final Passover pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem and the subsequent Roman cross, the gospel writer Luke devotes 10 chapters to Jesus' unique teachings and stories. His enthralling parables compel his listeners to hear, reflect, and respond. And similarly, it's vitally important for us to be able to share some of our stories along the way. So we'll get some opportunities to do that today. And it is my hope to hear from at least one of you today, maybe more, as we process through some of our own stories and explore this story in the life of Jesus. 
So, you heard Laura read it earlier, but let's, uh, let's see what's going on here. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's the beginning of the passage. Now, imagine this. You've got a large group of people going along the way from Galilee to Jerusalem, something like 120 miles, most or all of it on foot for most of them, most likely, right? So we're walking 120 miles. A big group of us are going, and Jesus says, if you want to follow me, well, first off, people were already following him. So this may have been a bit puzzling, right? If you want to follow me, Jesus, aren't we already following you? We're all going to the same place. Well, this is a familiar journey for Jesus, by the way. He had taken, it's, it's noted that he had taken this journey at least nine times, and there may have been more. So this is not an unfamiliar journey for Jesus. This road was well known. But for Jesus, this journey would be his last. This trip on the way to Jerusalem was actually his one-way journey where he would ultimately take up his cross. And so as they're going along, thinking about his destination, no doubt, he turns and says to the people around him, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on to add, verse 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus and his countrymen would have been intimately familiar with the idea of what carrying a cross meant. It was the practice of someone actually carrying the tool of their execution to the place where they would be executed. So this statement, uh, especially given that it was a shameful death, typically for foreigners, uh, or, or people who were political activists who was meant to put this person on display. Uh, and it was something horrible inflicted upon the Jewish people at this time. And so for Jesus to bring that up and say, hey, you've got to carry your cross too, would have potentially been a revolting statement to his countrymen. Quite harsh. You know, it's kind of like... <sighs> If you maybe wanted to go lobster diving or surfing with Greg, hey, Greg, let's go lobster diving. Maybe pick up some tips and tricks, learn where to go, where the big bugs are hiding in the crags. Greg, let's go lobster diving. He's like, yeah, man, you can come with me if you're willing to give up everything. Everything, Greg? Everything? That's harsh. Even for Greg, that's harsh. <laughs> everything. Wow, man, everything. Well, what does that include? And he's like, well, your wife, your children, your family, even your own life. If you do that, you can go lobster diving with me. I think, well, lobsters are expensive these days. Oh, you probably wouldn't go lobster diving, right? But Jesus, seemingly without shame, lays out the gauntlet. <sighs> I'd be interested in inviting you to process why a good and loving God might be willing to make such a demand without holding back, without shame, 
Such an audacious ask. Why would a good God be willing to ask such a thing? We'll explore that a little more as we move on today. So let's take a deeper look at verse 27. He goes on and says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Our word excruciating comes from the Latin word, which means as painful as a crucifixion, right? And so he's inviting us to do this very thing. Now, there are many of us in this room, and I would even probably say all of us have been on painful parts of our journey. And we've probably all experienced one-way journeys in a sense. We probably, there may even be people here who are experiencing a one-way journey today. Or, or maybe there's a one-way journey ahead in your future in some sense. But what about for those you love? Do you think anyone around you might encounter a one-way journey? You know, I think the journey through high school, for me, thankfully, was a one-way journey, right? For most people, their senior year is a one-way journey. Sometimes you go back and do a victory lap, redo the senior year. That happens, right? No shame. That does happen. But ultimately, that's a one-way journey. Or, or I think about my son, Jack. He's, he's not going to be 11 months again. This is the last time he'll be 11 months. A one-way journey. Some of those things are fun, and some of them are beautiful. Some of them are deep and heavy and dark and painful. But I would suggest to you that life itself is a one-way journey. No take-backsies, no do-overs. We're all on a one-way journey. And so the idea that, that we're considering today is what difference might nesting our one-way journey under a calling to follow Jesus change some of those one-way journeys for us and for those around us? Verse 28 through 30, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees you will ridicule you. That guy tried to build a tower and couldn't even finish it. Right? This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Wow. I mean, here's kind of a dumb question. Has anybody ever heard of a construction project taking more than planned? I mean, I see like there's a lot of, lot of grins in this room. Like you all know. Annie, you know. I mean, you've had some construction projects that have taken way longer than planned. There's a family I know of who planned a, a beautiful home, a three to five million dollar home on the edge of a state forest um, in Park City, and not just anywhere in Park City, Deer Valley, a really nice resort, at the top of the resort, at the edge of the forest, and not just any lot, it was the lot because it was right next to Will Smith's house. And so they say to their architect, hey, can we get this, build something, three, five, maybe push it to eight million at the most? The architect gives them a set of plans that everyone seemingly believes will be an eight million dollar home at most. Well, several frozen winters later, several contractors falling out, 
several difficult situations, and they were $14 million into the build of this home, and they weren't even done yet. That was the moment where they said, Uncle, we put more into this home than we had ever planned. Could somebody please take it off our hands? So what's Jesus bringing up here? Um, You know, I would suggest to you that in the days of building with less tools and less equipment and less automation than we have now, construction might have taken a long time then too. You might have encountered some unexpected issues back then as well. So he's highlighting here that this journey may cost more than you've even anticipated. Interesting. He's saying it's going to cost everything, and it might even be more than you thought it might cost. That's hard. Verse 31 through 32, or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask them for terms of peace. This verse highlights an interesting thought. Can we actually afford to say no to Jesus? The king of the universe has come to you with a proposition. Can we afford to say no? On the other side of the coin, he's not signing up for vice president. He's not interested in the VP spot, right? He's not here to be vice president of anyone's life. He's, as in the sense of a foreign king showing up saying, hey, I've got 20,000 people and you have 10,000. There is a fork in the road. And so, accepting the opportunity extended by the living God, or rejecting the opportunity extended. Both come with a cost, is what he's highlighting here, among other things. And so he goes on to say, in the same way, in the same way as that king sending terms of peace, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, this next statement was a bit funny to me at first. I heard it a million times, and I was like, what's the deal with this? Salt not being salty. How does that even work? Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. Wow, that seems rude. This is, uh, this is kind of like the idiomatic dis- expression, when pigs fly. When can salt lose its saltiness? When pigs fly. Salt is a very stable compound. You got the Na, you got the Cl. It comes together. If it's not salty, it's not salt. So Jesus lays out this first expression and then follows it up by a second. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Huh. Interesting. As I studied that phrase as part of preparing for this message, I found that it was repeated throughout Scripture well before Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, And it became a biblical expression of the day, a biblical idiom, meaning the person who has a yielded, leaned in, eager heart to receive the truth and act on it, that's the ears to hear, right? That's what we're identifying here. And interestingly enough, some of the phrases in the Old Testament were, were cited as saying, oh, this people doesn't have a heart to hear. This people is is rigid and stiff. And then on the other side of the coin, Jesus is saying, hey, if you have the ears to hear, hear this. So this phrase, 
he who has ears to hear. There's a, 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 an, an interesting distinction. Did I hear is not the question brought up in the, the mind of the person who hears this phrase. It's instead, am I ready to act on the truth that I've received? There are two binary expressions, right? Salt or not. Ears to hear or not. Such a binary position for someone to take with their friends walking along the road to Jerusalem. A few things I'd invite you to begin to process as Laura comes up. Where do we think the gift of having this sort of heart comes from? Where does this, this set of ears to hear, how do we acquire it? Secondly, uh, will I be alone in this? Is this the sort of journey that you have to take up on your own? Do you have to source this in and of your own strength? Well, Laura has a story to tell, and maybe you'll start to process some of your own story. As we're going through the stories Jesus is telling, Laura has a story from our book, and maybe it'll highlight a few things that you've experienced in your book as well. So a couple of years ago, uh, Ryan and I were at a little bit of a crossroads. We were newlyweds. We'd been married maybe six months or so. Um, COVID basically took out all of our businesses. Um, and we were looking for what was next. Where should we live? Where should we work? And just going through that discernment process. So as we were praying about things and deciding what we wanted to do, a thought popped into my head, like, maybe we should move to Mexico. And this is a thought that would normally pop into Ryan's head. Like, he's the one that's like, let's just, like, grab a passport. Like, we didn't have any furniture. So, like, let's just go, like, somewhere. But it was me this time. I was like, huh, like, that sounds, I've never been more than, like, a week in Mexico. But this, this thought popped into my head. As I process it with Ryan, of course, he was like, yes, like I'm ready to go yesterday. But we're like, okay, let's just like discern if this is like what God's saying or if it's just what sounds fun. Um, so it was just one of those things that just it wouldn't go away. I was like, okay, I feel like this is what God's asking us to do next. And we could have made pros and cons lists all day. There were a lot of reasons to go. There would be a lot of reasons to stay. And there like most things in life, when God's calling you to do something, some resistance that comes up. Ryan got a job offer on the other side of the United States. And we're like, oh, should we take that? And then we're like, no, wait, we know what God's saying. Um, we had people present their concerns, which were very legitimate concerns, moving to Mexico, concerns of safety and health and all of those things. And uh, we have now learned, as I'm sure you all have, that when God's calling you to something, pros and cons list, they go out the door when it's just about obedience. So we're saying we're going to be obedient. We're going to go. We're going to trust you, God. And um, there was a cost to going. All the things that were brought up, like, we paid up. Like, I got pretty sick like a few weeks into being there. We had terrible Wi-Fi issues. Um, the language barrier was real. Like, I didn't know any Spanish. Like, I didn't even take, like, Spanish 101 in high school. Like, didn't know anything before we went <laughs> We didn't know anyone there, um, and learning to drive there, like, I would go to the grocery store and have to, like, take a nap. Like, it was, like, an experience to just, like, navigate life in a new country without knowing anyone and as newlyweds and everything like that. So we did experience a lot of the cost uh, up front, and like Jesus says, there there's a cost to anything he's calling you to. Um, but what I learned from that experience was that 
anytime there's a cost to something, the reward is so much greater. So we planned on staying there three to maybe six months. We're like, we're going to summer in Mexico and see how it goes. And we ended up staying for nine months and had a hard time leaving. We ended up getting connected to a bilingual church and making some really good friends. And there was one couple in particular who we became lifelong friends with who we're still connected with. And uh, they are both from TJ and were deploying as missionaries into um, a country in North Africa where they are now. And we got to walk with them through this amazing journey that like it like gives me chills every time I think about it, just seeing their journey, getting to to walk with them through that. They ended up living with us for the last six weeks that we were there. We happened to decide to extend our time before we knew that they would be there for longer because they were supposed to leave to go to the the country where they were being sent to. And because of COVID, um, all the flights got shut down. And so they actually had nowhere to live and they had already quit their jobs, sold their cars, they had rehomed their dog. They had counted the cost and given up everything. And so they lived with us and they happened to get to get on a flight the same day that our lease was over, like by the grace of God. And it was just one of so many stories we experienced with them. I still remember when uh, Ryan and I got to be the ones to drive them across the border and drop them off at LAX. And we were the the ones that got to um, give them their final goodbyes as they bought a one-way ticket across the world. And the four of us just cried like we wept like we've known each other our whole lives and um makes me emotional just thinking about it um and on the way <coughs> excuse me we were driving moving to park city um because we we like the one-way journey so we just kind of buy the one-way tickets and then see what's next <laughs> um so we were driving to park city uh from there after we dropped them off and just processing um what we would have missed out on had we not said yes even though there was a cost like when i look back on the experience i'm like oh the cost was like this much the reward was like this much, but we wouldn't have known that had we not said yes. It's not something we would have said, oh, if we don't go, maybe we'll miss out on a lifelong friendship, but we'll get to help deploy missionaries in North Africa. Like, it's just, those are the God things you can't expect. Um, you just get to say yes and be obedient and say, yes, God, I count the cost. And on the other side, we get to trust that his character is good and that even when he says it might cost you your family, he loves our families. Like we can trust him with that cost. And so that was just a a really beautiful experience where I learned that, um, that the cost is basically nothing when we're with Jesus. So we can count it and then we can just like jump on it joyfully. Incredible. What a beautiful thing. We have some pictures of that time there, I think. Oh, yeah, there we are on the beach in Mexico. There's us at the church. I'll go back to the one at the ocean, back to. Yeah, so what you wouldn't know is that water looks pristine and incredible, but if the wind happens to be out of the north, the Tijuana River current goes towards the south, which is where we were, and that beach would smell like uh, dish soap and laundry softener, fabric softener. Yeah, it was great. So that was interesting. Um, We did do a good bit of surfing. Nobody grew any extra limbs or anything weird like that, so thank you, Jesus. Uh, We can go to the next one. This is a church called All People's Tijuana. And wildly enough, um, I had been there before I was born again. Like, this was probably 10 years ago-ish, maybe 11 years ago. And I, I wasn't born again at the time, but I was 
there to plant this church that I thought I'd probably never go back to again because some friends invited me. They were church people. I'll go with the church people, do the church thing. Somehow I wound up in the church drama acting out God and Jesus in this country. I was, I was a, so weirdly enough, uh, I was a missionary before I had even chosen to follow Jesus. <laughs> I don't know how all that works. I don't know about the theology of it all, but I will tell you, the God of the universe does not need your perfection to use you. He doesn't need you to get it all right. The beautiful thing is that he has covered this for us. And so for us, such a tremendous, incredible experience to be able to re-engage with this community and, and show up on the other side of having counted the cost of following Jesus. We can go to the last picture. So these are our friends. We were able to deploy them to a closed country, and the stories that they share with us are beautiful. So in conclusion, we're all offered the greatest relationship ever, the most incredible adventure ever, and it also requires the steepest cost ever. But remember how earlier I mentioned that we're all already on a one-way journey. You're already counting the cost. You're already giving everything to something every day. Why not give it all to Jesus? Why not? And I would suggest to you that people are not meant for the pursuit of the things that we're eager to pursue, like happiness or ease or safety or comfort. These things have this siren song that's very alluring, like if I just had more blank, then I would be blank. It's such an easy thing to get, to get pulled by, but I would suggest to you that part of the human design is to give all for a worthy calling. And so, what you'll see is that when people do this, they find tremendous joy, they find tremendous comfort, they find tremendous peace along the way when willingly choosing a hard path for Jesus' sake. Greater love hath no man than he who gives his life for a friend. Why not give your life for the friend? Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Just in case anyone here would want to try to do this journey without faith in God helping you, don't do that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So let him carry the weight. The verse goes on to say, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's his nature. His heart for you is for your good. And he wants to do this journey with you. So we're going to have just a few minutes to discuss some of these things. You imagine Jesus going along with this crowd or Greg walking to lobster diving. Hey, you guys got to give it all up now. You hear? That's what happened. A heavy, binary, polarizing, maybe even revolting statement comes out of Jesus that you got to give it all up if you're going to follow me. No doubt, this would have incited some contemplation. This would have had some people walking along and thinking. So as we process some of these things together, um, we're just going to take a, a, a couple minutes 
to discuss these three questions. What is God asking of you today? What is the cost of not following through? And what might following through look like for you? What is the cost? Like, think about that. God, what is it that you would ask of me today? What cost are you asking me to count? What are you asking me to give up? I'm here, God, and I'm listening. And conversely, if I didn't follow through with those steps, what might that result be? So let's take maybe three to four minutes. Let's find groups of two, maybe three at the most. And we can leave these questions up on the screen and just spend a little bit of time processing it. So if you're in a group of three, there's enough time for everyone to talk for maybe a minute. I'm speaking to myself here. Sometimes I can talk too long. <laughs> so let's make space for the introverts in the room to share and express and process some of these things together for the next three to five minutes. This idea, I mean, that's powerful. That's hard. That's vulnerable. But people who have ears to hear take action. They take courage. They're not afraid. And so you all making time to process these things, that's an act of courage. That is boldness. And I think that God's pleased with it. I think that he's happy to be on this journey with you. So I'd like to invite the band up. And um, as they come up and start getting set up, there's a few things that I'll ask you to do so that we can take the thing that's been sparked here and, and actually see it into something in real life. We don't want to just think about it or dream about it. Talking about it is amazing. That's an incredible first step. We want to, we want to be about it. We want to do something with this. And um, so I would encourage you to just take note of whatever it is that you feel God is calling you to count the cost of. You know, as Laura and I were processing here, I feel like God is asking me to let go of self-sufficiency and leaning on my own understanding. I'm in a phase where I'm being led into and invited into things that are beyond me. My tendency is to just work later, maybe a little harder, <laughs> maybe a little faster, Maybe hire another consultant, put more fuel on the fire, get all these things in, places, in place, and get it done. I'm really driven to see a thing through. I enjoy that. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel secure. I've built my system and my machine, and look at it, it's working. There's a lot of self-satisfaction that you can hear that. So what am I missing out on if I count the cost of self-sufficiency? Well, my own self-derived sense of security out the window. Ugh, that's maybe not fun. And so, as I was processing what might following through with this look like, I felt like God gave me a few steps. I felt like he put it on my heart to lean into 
a few things practically in my life. So I would encourage you all, as you process these questions today and maybe even this week, that you take note of what it is God's inviting you into. I'd encourage you to take prayer, uh, to take prayer. I would encourage you to, prayer is what we're going to give you today. I would encourage you to take courage, and I would encourage you to take action. And along the lines of prayer, if any of you here would love to have someone pray for you, there are loved ones and friends around you who would be happy to do that. And if you don't know who to go to, or if you're not sure of who around you is, is ready to pray for you in that way, or you'd like to, to come talk to one of us, we'd be happy to be there for you. Josiah would love to pray for you. There he is, yellow shirt. Laura would love to pray for you. You guys know Laura? Yeah? I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. Greg, Tony, as soon as they finish playing, they would love to pray for you. We're eager to get to be part of the good thing God is doing in your life. So God, I thank you for the seeds that you're planting today. I thank you for the, the invitation that you extend. I thank you for your graciousness. I thank you that you went first, that you chose to count the cost of drawing us in close to you. God, we're so grateful that we don't do this alone. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit here with us today. We're thankful for this amazing group of individuals that have so much patience and love and maturity to do community well. God, we're grateful. Thank you, Jesus.